Welcome to Top 100 Fairy Tales. Your kids, your pets, and you should listen to. Recording by Nuprosta. The story of the barber's fifth brother. An Arabic fairy tale. As long as our father lived, Al-Nashar was very idle. Instead of working for his bread, he was not ashamed to ask for every evening and to support himself the next day on what he had received the night before. When our father died, worn out by age, he only left 700 silver drums to be divided among us, which made 100 for each son. <clears throat> Al-Nakar, who had never possessed so much money in his life, was quite puzzled to know what to do with it. After reflecting upon the matter for some time, he decided to lay it out on glasses, bottles, and things of that sort, which he would buy from a wholesale merchant. Having bought his stock, he next proceeded to look out for a small shop in a good position where he sat down and the open door, his wares being peeled up in an uncovered basket in front of him, waiting for a customer among the passers-by. In this attitude, he remained seated, his eyes fixed on the basket, but his thoughts far away. Unknown to himself, he began to talk out loud, and a tailor, whose shop was next door to his, heard quite plainly what he was saying. This basket, said Al-Nashar to himself, has cost me a hundred dramas, and all of that I possess in the world. Now in selling the contents piece by piece, I shall return two hundred, and these hundreds I shall again lay it out in glass, which will produce four hundred. By this means I shall in course of time make four thousand dramas, which will easily double themselves. When I have got ten thousand, I will give up the glass trade and become a jeweler, and devote all my time to trading in pearls, diamonds, and other precious stones. At last, having all the wealth and heart can desire, I will buy a beautiful country house with horses and slaves, and then I will lead a merry life and entertain my friends. At my feasts I will send my musicians and dancers from the neighboring town to amuse my guests. In spite of my riches I shall not, however, give up trade till I have amazed capital of a hundred thousand dramas. When having become a man of much consideration, I shall request the hand of the Grand Vizier's daughter, taking care to inform the worthy father that I have heard favorable reports of her beauty and wit, and that I will pay down on our wedding three thousand gold pieces. Should the Vizier refuse my proposal, which after all is hardly to be expected, I will seize him by the bird and drag him to my house. When I shall have married his daughter, I will give her ten of the best eunuchs that can be found for her service. Then I shall put on my most gorgeous robes and mount it on a horse with a saddle of fine gold, and its trapping blazing with diamonds followed by a train of slaves. I shall present myself at the house of the Grand Vizier, the people casting down their eyes and bowing low as I pass along. At the foot of the Grand Vizier's staircase I shall dismount, and while my servants stand in a row to right and left, I shall ascend the stairs, and the head of which the Grand Vizier will be waiting to receive me. He will then embrace me as his son-in-law, and give him his seat will place himself below me. This being done, as I have every reason to expect, 
two of my servants will enter, each bearing a purse containing a thousand pieces of gold. One of these I shall present to him, saying, Here are the thousand gold pieces that I offered for your daughter's hand, and here I shall continue holding out the second purse or another thousand to show you that I am a man who is better than his word. After hearing of such generosity, the world will talk of nothing else. I shall return home with the same pomp as I set out, and my wife will send an officer to compliment me on my visit to her father, and I shall confer in the officer the honor of a rich dress and handsome gift. Should this she send one to me, I shall refuse it and dismiss the beer. I shall never allow my wife to leave her rooms on any pretext whatever without my permission and my visits to her will be marked by all the ceremony calculated to inspire respect. No establishment will be better ordered than mine, and I shall take care always to be dressed in a manner suitable to my position. In the evening, when we retire to our apartments, I shall sit in the place of honor, where I shall assume a grand demeanor or speak a little, gazing straight before me, and when my wife, lovely at the full moon, stands humbly in front of my chair, I shall pretend not to see her. Then her woman will say to me, Respected lord and master, your wife and slave is before you waiting to be noticed. She is mortified that you never deemed to look her way. She is tired of standing so long. Beg her, we pray you, to be seated. Of course I shall give no signs of even hearing this speech which will wax them mightily. They will throw themselves at my feet with lamentations, and at length I will raise my head and throw a careless glance at her. Then I shall go back to my former attitude. The woman will think that I am displeased at my wife's dress and will lead her away to put in a finer one, and I on my side shall replace the one I am wearing with another yet more splendid. They will then return to the charge, but this time it will take much longer before they persuade me even to look at my wife. It's well to begin on my wedding day, as I mean to go on for the rest of our leaves. The next day she will complain to her mother of the way she has been treated, which will fill up my heart with joy. Her mother will come to seek me, and kissing my hands with respect, will say, My lord, for she could not dare to risk my anger by using the familiar title of son-in-law. My lord, do not, I implore you, refuse to look up on my daughter or to approach her. She only lives to please you and loves you with all her soul. But I shall pay no more heed to my mother's-in-law words than I did to those of the woman. Again, she will beseech me to listen to her entreaties, throwing herself this time at my feet, but at, um, to no purpose. Then putting a glass of wine to my wife's hand, she will say to her, There, present that to him yourself, he cannot have the cruelty to reject anything over it by so beautiful a hand. And my wife will take it and offer it to me trembling with tears in her eyes, but I shall look in the other direction. This will cause her to weep still more. Never shall I cease my prayers till you have done me the favor to drink. Sick of her importunity, these words will goad me to fury. I shall dart an angry look at her and give her a sharp blow on the check, and the same time giving her a kick so violent that she will stagger across the room and fall on the sofa. 
My brother, pursued the barber, was so much absorbed in his dreams that he actually did give a kick with his foot, which is unluckily hit the basket of glass. It fell into street and was instantly broken into a thousand of pieces. His neighbor, the tailor, who had been listening to his visions, broke into a loud fit of laughter as he saw the sight. Wretched man, he cried, you ought to die of shame behaving so at young wife who has done nothing to you. You must be brood for her tears and prayers not to touch your heart. If I were the Grand Vizier, I would order you a hundred blows from a bullock whip, and would have you led round the town a companion by a herald who should proclaim your crimes. The accident, so fatal at his profits, had restored my brother to his senses, and seeing that the mischief has been caused by his own insufferable pride, he rent his clothes and tore his hair, and lamented himself so loudly that the passers-by stopped to listen. It was a Friday, so these were more numerous than usual. Some pitied Al-Nashar, others only laughed at him, but the vanity had gone to his head had disappeared with his basket of glass, and he was loudly bewailing his folly when a lady, evidently a person of consideration, rode by on a mule. She stopped and cured what was the matter, and why the man wept. They told her that he was a poor man who had laid out of all his money to his basket of glass, which was now broken. On hearing the cause of this loud wail, the lady turned to her attendant and said to him, Give him whatever you have got with you. The man obit and placed in my brother's hand a purse containing five hundred pieces of gold. Al-Nashar almost died of joy in receiving it. He blessed the lady a thousand times, and shutting up his shop where he had no longer anything to do, he returned home. He was still absorbed in contemplating his good fortune when a knock came to his door, and on opening it he found an old woman standing outside. My son, she said, I have a favor to ask of you. It is the hour of prayer, and I have not yet washed myself. Let me, I beg you, enter your house and give me water. My brother, although the old woman was a stranger to him, did not hesitate to do as she wished. He gave her a vessel of water and then went back to his place and his thoughts. And with his mind busy over his lost adventure, he put his gold into a long and narrow purse, which he could easily carry in his belt. During this time, the old woman was beery over her prayers, and when she had finished, she came and prostrated herself twice before my brother, and then rising called down endless blessing on his head. Observing her shabby clothes, my brother thought that her gratitude was in reality a hint that she could give her some money to buy some new ones, so he held out two pieces of gold. The old woman started back in a surprise, as if she had received an insult. Good heavens, she exclaimed, what is the meaning of this? Is it possible that you take me, my lord, for one of those miserable creatures who force their way into houses to beg for alms? Take back your money. I am thankful to say I do not need it, for I belong to a beautiful lady who is very rich and gives me everything I want. My brother was not clever enough to detect that the old woman had merely refused two pieces of money he had offered her in order to get more, 
but he inquired if she could procure him to the pleasure of seeing this lady. Willingly, she replied, and she will be charmed to marry you and to make you the master of all her wealth, so pick up your money and follow me. Delighted at the thought that he had found so easily both the fortune and a beautiful wife, my brother asked no more question, but concealing his purse with the money the lady had given him, in the folds of his dress, he set out joyful with his guide. They walked for some distance till the old woman stopped at a large house where she knocked. The door was opened by a young Greek slave, and the old woman led my brother across a well-paved court into a well-furnished hall. Here she left him to inform her mistress of his presence, and the day was hot, and they flung himself on a pile of cushions and took his heavy turban. In a few minutes there entered a lady, and my brother perceived at the first glance that she was even more beautiful and more richly dressed than he had expected. He rose from his seat, but the lady signed to him to sit down again and placed herself beside him. After the usual compliments had passed between them, she said, We are not comfortable here, let us go into another room, and passing in a small chamber apparently communicating with no other, she continued to talk to him for some time. Then, rising hastily, she left him, saying, Stay where you are, I will come back in a moment. He waited as he was told, but instead of the lady, there entered a huge black slave with a sword in his hand. Approaching my brother with an angry countenance, he exclaimed, What business have you here? His voice and manner were so terrific that Almashar had not threats to reply and allowed his gold to be taken from him and even saber cuts to be inflicted on him without making any resistance. As soon as he was let go, he sank on the ground powerless to move, though, though he still had possession of his senses. Thinking he was dead, the black ordered the Greek slave to bring some salt, and between them they rubbed it into his wounds, thus giving him acute agony, though he had the presence of mind to give no signs of life. Then, then they left him, and their place was taken by the old woman, who dragged him to a trapdoor and threw him down into a vault filled with the bodies of murdered men. At first the violence of his fall caused him to lose consciousness, but luckily the salt which had been rubbed into his wounds had by its smarting preserved his life, and little by little he regained his strength. At the end of two days he lifted the trapdoor during the night and hid himself in the courtyard till daybreak, when he saw the old woman leave the house in search of more prey. Luckily she did not observe him and when she was out of the sight, he stole from this nest of assassins and took refuge in my house. I dressed his wounds and tended him carefully, and when a month had passed, he was as well as ever. His one thought was how to seek revenge on that weak old hag, and for this purpose he had a purse made large enough to contain five hundred gold pieces, but filled it instead with birds of glass. This he, tried, he tied round him with his sash, and disguising himself as an old woman, he took a saber, which he had under his dress. One morning, as he was hobbling through the streets, he met this old enemy prowling to see if she could find anyone to decoy. 
He went up to her, and in imitating the voice of a woman, he said, Do you happen to have a pair of scales you could lend me? I have just come from Persia, and have brought with my five hundred gold pieces, and I am anxious to see if they are proper weight. Good woman, replied the old hag, he could have not asked anyone better. My son is a money changer, and if you will follow me, he will weigh them for you himself. Only we must be quick, or he will have gone to his shop. So saying, she led the way to the same house as before, and the door was opened by the same Greek slave. Again, my brother was left in the hall, and the pretend son appeared under the black, uh, the black slave. Miserable crone, he said to my brother, get up and come with me, and turned to lead the way to the place of murder. Anashar rose too, and drawing the saber from under his dress, dealt the black such a blow on his neck that his head was severed from his body. My brother picked up the head with one hand, and seizing the body with the other, dragged to the vault when he threw it and sent the head after it. The Greek slaves, supposing that all had passed as usual, shortly arrived with a basin of salt, but when she beheld Alnashar with a saber in his hand, she let the basin fall and turned the run. My brother, however, was too quick for her, and in another instant her head was rolling from her shoulders. The noise brought the old woman running to see what was the matter, and he seized her before she had time to escape. Wretch, he cried, do you know me? Who are you, my lord, she replied, trembling all over. I have never seen you before. I'm he, Hose. you entered to offer your hypocritical prayers. Don't you remember now? She flung herself on her knees to implore mercy, but he cut her in four pieces. There remained only the lady, who was quite ignorant of all that was taking place around her. He sought her through the house, and when at last he found her, she nearly fainted with terror at the sight of him. She begged her for life, which he was generous enough to give her, but he bade her to tell him how she had got into partnership with the embonimal creatures he had just put to death. I was a once, replied she the wife of an honest merchant, and the old woman, whose wickedness I did not know, used occasionally to visit me. Madam, she said to me one day, we have a grand wedding at our house today. If you do us the honor to be present, I am sure you would enjoy yourself. I allowed myself to be persuaded, put on my richest dress, and took a purse with a hundred pieces of gold. Once inside the doors, I was kept by force by that dreadful black, and it's now three years that I have been here, to my great grief. That horrible black must have amazed great wealth, remarked my brother. Such wealth, returned she, that if you succeed in carrying it all away, it will make you rich forever. Come, and let us see how much there is. She led Alnashar into a chamber filled with coffers, packed with gold, which he glazed at within an admiration he was powerless to conceal. Go, she said, and bring men to carry them away. My brother did not wait to be told twice, and hurried out into the streets where he soon collected ten men. They all came back to the house, but what was his surprise to find the door open, and the room with the chest of gold quite empty. The lady had been cleverer than himself, 
and had made the best of use of her time. However, he tried to console himself by removing all the beautiful furniture, which more than made up for the 500 gold people pieces he had lost. Unluckily, on leaving the house, he forgot to lock the door, and the neighbors, finding the place empty, informed the police who had next morning arrested Alnashar as a thief. My brother tried to bribe them to let him off, but far from listening to him, they tied his hands and forced him to walk between to the presence of the judge. When they had explained to the official the cause of the complaint, he asked Alnashar where he had obtained all the furniture that he had taken to his house the day before. Sir, replied Alnashar, I am ready to tell you the whole story, but give, I pray you, your word that I shall run no risk of punishment. That I promise, said the judge. So my brother began at the beginning and related all his adventures and how he had avenged himself on those who had betrayed him. As to the furniture, he entreated the judge at least to allow him to keep part to make up for the 500 pieces of gold which had been stolen from him. The judge, however, would say nothing about this and lost no time in sending men to fetch away all that Alnachar had taken from the house. When everything had been moved and placed under his roof, he ordered my brother to leave the town and never more to enter it on peril of his life fearing that if he returned he might seek justice from the caliph. Alnashar obit and was on his way to a neighboring city when he fell in with a band of robbers who stripped him of his clothes and left him naked by the roadside. Hearing of his plight, I hurried after him to console him for his misfortunes and to dress him in my best robe. I then brought him back disguised under cover of night to my house where I have since given him all the care I bestow on my other brothers. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, leave a like. If you learned something, please share it. Please also share the story with your friends and parents. Thank you for doing this to us. See you next time.